Welcome, everybody. It's another glorious episode of Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a few books this week. I watched a show this week. We're doing Hulu's Mrs. America. Kate Blanchett plays Phyllis Schlafly. Schlafly. Yeah. Schlafly. So let's say it together. Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly. She was a, a, a notorious Republican activist in the 1970s and 80s. The opposer of the Equal Rights Amendment of the 70s. We didn't know anything about this. This centers around a political movement in the 1970s. So you have the Republican side of this and the Democratic side of this. Feminist on one side, and you have Phyllis Schlafly on the other side. And if this seems far gone, just wait until the end because there is an update to this amendment that literally happened January of this this year. year. Relevancy. That's how relevant it is. It's it's not the 1970s. It is happening in 2020. Right. The show, which Evan saw a bit of, Davy Waller is the writer, creator. She worked on such things as Desperate Housewives, Mad Men, Mm -hmm. Halt and Catch Fire, which is a period piece about the creation of the computer. Oh, I didn't know that. And whatnot. Yeah, that's on AMC. That sounds fascinating. The books that I read are books that were written by the two main figures opposing and in support of the Equal Rights Amendment, which we'll get to. But uh, just from what I saw, Davy Waller, she was saying, because Kate Blanchett is this main character who, by Hollywood standards, is a villain, sort of kind of an anti-hero. It's, it's, well, pr- yeah. she, they depict her, you know, they try to round her out. You know, they, they, she's a full human being. It's yeah. not just, yeah. So Just speaking of that, what she's saying, what she was trying to do, her mom was a therapist. She approached it, and as all good mm-hmm. writers do, saying most people or a lot of people don't like and is divisive, but what are her fears and vulnerabilities? Why would she be afraid of change? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, just yeah. taking it from a more human perspective. Yeah. Like you said, this is a full human being. She's not just against something because she's mean and evil. Right. She has a point of view. She, she comes from, from a particular place, I'm yeah. sure. So. And I also thought it was fascinating that the major opponent of this Equal Rights Amendment which is an amendment for equality for women, is a woman. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty amazing that once I was through the pilot episode that historically the context of it seems to be laying a lot of groundworks for the culture wars that we seem to be in now. So it it amazed me that we're seeing a Nixon era and post-Nixon era political figurehead of this magnitude. I mean, she's a woman railing against real legislation and taking it down. Yeah. And this is something that got through Congress and ultimately couldn't get fully ratified. I mean, she is waging a war path and I've never really heard her name before. I thought that was just staggering yeah. that, that uh, she's been a figurehead in that movement for 50 years. Yeah. More than 60 years, 70 years now. I mean, good Lord, she wrote that report for 50 years straight, mm-hmm. monthly. Her private newspaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is how she gathered a lot of her audiences, this monthly report she would put out. Mm-hmm. Um, and she put it out for 50 years straight. But I just was amazed that somebody of this of the this gravitas <laughs> on the Republican side, this this kind of maverick, dare I say, she just does not permeate the current zeitgeist. Like well, I don't, also, I have never heard her name before. And also the like, I looked up, tried to find. Usually when we see these things, oh, there was a, a mini series on the BBC and a movie. Like this is the only thing that's made about her. That's, There's no that's wild. There was that's a documentary amazing. that came out you know, some History Channel thing or whatever. But like, this okay. is really the only piece of media that exists about this woman. Wow. So it is crazy. It, it is crazy because 
okay, we we we're only hearing about her now because of the media. But I mean, people who know knew her both for her and against her at the time are all over social media. The conversation that this woman still is spurring Mm -hmm. is massive. The argument over exactly who's for what and who's in the best interest of who is still it's yeah. still waging. It's it's not over. So let's get into the historical stuff behind the Equal Rights Amendment, what it is, and then we'll go into who she is and who is against her and then how it ties into what we're doing now. Mm. The Equal Rights Amendment, very confusing. When I, I always go to Wikipedia to start and then go from the sources from there kind of thing. But the start of this, if you click on the Wikipedia thing, it says the Equal Rights Amendment was or is. And it's... So we'll get to that when we get to All right. it. It's like, how can something be was and also is? It couldn't have not happened and happened. But uh, it's true. And I'm going to explain what that is or was. Um, well, I mean, it was, wasn't it? And it is. So it was just bizarre the way that they said it. But the Equal Rights Amendment, very brief in terms of an amendment. It's only 52 words. What? And so I will read them to you as such. Mm. Three parts. One, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Two, the Congress shall have the power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this law. Three, this amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. Very simple. And I think in its simplicity, therein lies the argument is that it has perhaps has unintended consequences. I think that is what the the Schlafly side, the Republican side of this is saying, is that, well, if they are interchangeable Mm -hmm. under the law, totally interchangeable. And this is one that one example that they keep railing on, that daughters could be drafted. Yeah. And other such things uh, that uh, so there was there was. Yeah. In the 70s. Also, this is the. The forefront, the issues of homosexual marriage was then coming into the mm. fray because if it's like, oh, you can't, yeah. you can't uh, make any law against it based on sex, then it's like, well, then that's a man and a man or a woman and a woman getting married based on sex. Then that becomes an issue. Yeah. Alimony, these rights for social security because you're not the head of household, like no. all of these legal yeah. things. Yeah become a problem. And some people might wonder, I'm not as keyed into all of the Constitution and whatnot as probably are most people, unfortunately, but the 14th Amendment of the United States was the one that came about after the Civil War, and that prohibits the states from denying equal protection of the laws. Right, okay. And so some people might say- this in the first episode. The Schlafly character brings this up as one of her main points of like, well, we already have these protections buried somewhere. If you read the Constitution, Mr. you know. (laughs) Right, but it says equal protections of the laws, but it's so vague as to how, okay, but does that that apply Mm -hmm. to women versus men if we're identifying them as different? Now we're getting into the vagueness have- of constitutional <laughs> law. I let people make a whole career out of like the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the vagueness of language in a particular document. <laughs> yeah. So that's the big question a lot of people might have is like, well, isn't this already in there? Like, wouldn't why why does there need to be a special amendment mm-hmm, mm-hmm. specifying you cannot deny rights on account of sex? Mm-hmm. The the thing is constitutions of 25 states provide inclusive or partial guarantees of equal rights on the basis of sex. 25. Yeah, 25 of the 50. So at least at the state level, in the state constitutions, Mm -hmm. it says basically what this says here. But the goal is, well, it should be a federal thing. Right, 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 right. It should be a mandate through the entire country. Yeah. So then where did this start? Not in the 70s, like a lot of people think. 1923 was when this started. This woman, Alice Paul, who was the head of the National Women's Party, after the 19th Amendment was created, which is the women's right Right. to vote, 
she was like, that's not enough. We need to have something that specifically outlines this. So right. the, the, the language is pretty much the same from the 1923 version of the one that she was trying to put in really? after the 19th Amendment was created. And although it was introduced, it got put into every congressional session between 1923 and 1972. It almost never reached the floor of either the Senate or the House for a vote. Wow. So it did oh sometimes, gosh. but then it went through. But so like that whole time, it always got brought up in look, Congress. Look, it'll be a hundred years in three years. Mm -hmm. It'll be a hundred years. Yeah, that this has been bumbling around the United States Congress. Yeah, that's we ought to be ashamed. <laughs> we're forgetting that time is marching on. I think. <laughs> like, yeah, that we're we are living history, and we better start making some decisions. Well, it was bumbling around until the seventies. So then in seventy one. This thing gets and it starts back to catch fire because of the second wave of feminism, overwhelming bipartisan majority in the House, then to the Senate. You need 38 states to ratify it, which is a U.S. situation, meaning, OK, it goes through mm -hmm, the House mm -hmm, and the Senate. Mm -hmm. Then the, the individual states have their, states their, have their own say. thing and then they have to say yes. So the deadline was 1979. And this thing was completely stalled due to this lady, Phyllis Schlafly. But before we get to her, we have to say like, okay, well, if it was bumbling around since 23, who was the person who revitalized it yeah. before the 70s? Yeah. And she is in the show. I don't know if she's featured prominently yet because they haven't released all the episodes. But the gal's name is Betty Friedan. She wrote a book called The Feminine Mystique. Yes, yes. She's the leader on the feminist side. Yeah. And it's interesting to say they actually go a step further on the Democratic side, the feminist side, to show that it is bipartisan. They have mm -hmm. a uh, very Republican spokeswoman that they use a lot as like saying, like, look, this is not just like the freaks, <laughs> right. like whatever you guys want to call us. Like that, that that's so often what they get painted as, as the kind of the fringes of society. It's like, no, it's actually people that look just like the people on the other side <laughs> that right. are telling us that they want to keep it the way it is. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So the feminine mystique, interestingly, like the, the thing that it's addressing, like you said, it's not even really going for what at the time might people meet might be like, oh, hippie sandal wearing women who are already free and just want, you know, she is questioning the assumptions that women would be fulfilled from what the stereotypical women's roles are, housework, marriage, their limited mm -hmm. sexual lives and raising children. She wanted to prove that women were unsatisfied but could not voice their feelings. Mm. How did this happen? So in 57, she was asked to conduct a survey of her former college classmates because they were about to have a 15th anniversary reunion. Okay. So as she went around, she found, oh, many of these women are very unhappy. Oh. Like they, they sold oh, the no. American dream of being the happy housewife yeah. and they're miserable. Yeah. So she's like, well, this is clearly a bigger issue. And she had that in her own life, though some of it is disputed because I think from some articles, I'll post some things, she was a little bit more radical to begin with mm. than she was leading herself on to believe. But she did still involve herself in the typical duties of a housewife right. at some point. But this prompted her to begin her research for this book, The Feminine Mystique. And she initially intended to publish it as an article, but no magazine would publish it. <laughs> so she then wrote a book. It became one of the best-selling books of 1964. Wow. Um, and so then she's leading this. There are, of course, other leaders of the feminist movement, which there's so many characters I know in the show yeah. that come about, yeah. but she is the main one, and she wrote the book, literally, that this started is a, this. This is a thing. gallery of, of figureheads for the movement. I don't know them all, but I'm getting acquainted with them as I've, as I've started going through the show. But every every single uh, character in here is a is a somebody in this <laughs> movement. I mean, for real. Yeah. And it has, if you've seen anything like Harvey, like, uh, like Milk, um, mm -hmm. it's very much up that, up that alley. There was a uh, ABC miniseries a few 
years ago called When We Rise about the homosexual uh, movement. That, Stonewall. Yes, and, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, it has very much that kind of flavor in terms of the characters that are mm-hmm. helping push this legislation and this movement. And if you wanted to see, I found a link because there is a debate, I believe, that happens in the show between these two people. There's no video footage of that, but there is a pseudo debate that Betty Friedan and Phyllis Schlafly had on Good Morning America (laughs) in 1976. (laughs) It's so heated and so hot. And the reporter's just like, well, we have to go to this. (laughs) Well, we're going to cut to... (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy. So I would highly recommend if you're going to click one link in our show notes, go watch (laughs) that because it's the real life people on live television hashing it out. Getting out of hand. And it almost feels like a presidential debate where they're spouting quotes and numbers and uh, this Rebuttal. reminds me of uh, of another uh, is happening almost simultaneously the Gore Vidal and William Buckley feud uh, the mm-hmm. political feud. There's a couple documentaries about that. Um, this feels like the feminist version of William Buckley and 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 Gore's mm. f- uh, political feud. If for any of you history buffs who know any of that, <laughs> it seems to parallel that for me in just terms of just public disputes and public figureheads that really win at it on television. <laughs> right. Yeah, they were extremely at vocal. this time. Yeah. This is still the 70s. You know, the first the first televised presidential debate was 61. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is all, this is baby steps in terms of TV media. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about Phyllis. Who in the world is she? How did she just come and completely upset this thing in 71? Tearing it up. Yeah. She grew up during the Great Depression, just as an interesting, maybe they get into this in the Hmm. show. Her father was suffering in and out of unemployment at the time, as everybody was. So her mother then had to enter the labor market and work which I thought was interesting, that that was her upbringing. Oh. Was her mom not being a typical housewife. Oh, man. So the dad's on his butt, and the mom walks out the door and says, well, somebody's going to put food on this table. <laughs> yeah. Like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> All right. So this, that's how she I want to see where this goes. Yeah. That's my, okay. Just That's the whole thing. Like I said, a portrait of a complicated is, human being. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what, um, just a sidebar for just for a second, but I think ultimately- this woman is so revered on one side and debated on another. I mean, mm-hmm. there are going to be people who are angry with this portrait of her. But I think it's trying to get at a little bit more of a human portrait of her. I think it's trying to get at that conflict that I think we're going to kind of unearth here. I think yeah. that is the ultimately the point of the show is to lift the veil just a little bit behind her. And to show you, she might have been more conflicted and more, there might be more going on than you could have ever imagined inside her head. And I think that's the thing is like what you see in the show might be fictionalized to a degree, but I think ultimately it's trying to paint you a maybe a more truer portrait of what it would have been like to feel what she was feeling and going through. Yeah. So just as part of that, continuing with her life and the complicated nuances that then inspire her later decisions. She went to college at Radcliffe, which for those that don't know, was the female portion of Harvard while they were still segregating men and women. Like women could not go to Harvard. Mm. So she essentially went to Harvard. Wow. But women only section of it. She, Harvard B. Yeah. <laughs> Great. She, after that World War II strikes, she works at a munitions plant. All right, I I read about this part of yeah. her life, an interesting part of her life that she that she's making ammunition, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for the war. I mean, she's the poster girl, right? You know, she's the bandana. <laughs> Rosie the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. 
So then you wonder, how, how did she get involved in all this stuff? Initially, she, she was interested in politics, and that's what she got her degree in. She was more interested at the start of her career in national security and defense mm-hmm. and nuclear, okay. you know, stuff like that. Isolation is like of the show showing how where she's moving out of uh, like the mental sphere she's in politically and where she's trying to find a place, uh, find a cause really that really needs her. Yeah, Uh, because she needs something. (laughs) And so she's really frustrated with the Republican Party at this time. Yeah, her book, which I read portions of, which uh, came out at the exact same time, 1964. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is wow. (laughs) That's pretty. uh, That's pretty amazing. Right when. The Feminine Mystique is coming out. Right at the same time. That's incredible. Uh, Her book is called A Choice, Not an Echo. And this was in support of Barry Goldwater to become the Republican candidate against LBJ. See, and this is help adding some content, some American context, some historical context for me, because Barry Goldwater is this American uh, figurehead that I've never really understood yeah, uh, much about. So this is helping really give some just context about who was he and why was he important and who was he surrounding himself with. Yeah. So th- she was going against what they called the Rockefeller Republicans, mm. which are the more liberal mm-hmm. Republicans. And she's saying that they are manipulating things in the Republican Party and silencing grassroots efforts. From what I gathered, she seemed to get re. She was into the Red Scare, man. She was mm-hmm. really, really concerned about communism yeah. uh, seeping into this country, unbeknownst to anybody else. She, yeah. I mean that that was such an ideology at the uh, a frame of mind at the time was you, the paranoia of you didn't know where the Soviets were working and what what kind of game they were playing. Yeah, at least at this point, though, her work is specifically just catered to the already Republican Party and their support, saying, "Hey, our party is lost. We need to go." for Goldwater. The thing with this book was it was initially free. They dispensed around 300,000 copies just in California Hmm. in a grassroots effort to try and get people to understand what was going on with the Republican Party. Interesting. This is prior to the GOP primary. And so then Goldwater wins that primary, Mm -hmm. specifically in California as well, because of this. And most people say like, oh, her book was the start of him getting there to eventually become the nominee. Of course, My he loses, gosh. but that was her book. So then she's rising to the forefront. So she already has some political understanding of what's going on. But th- yeah. remember, this is in 64. She's building that clout. Yeah. A lot of people also might say the effect of this then, because Goldwater becomes the nominee, who endorses him in a famous speech, but Reagan mm. on TV. And then Reagan was asked to run as the governor of California, in large part because of his support. And then he becomes president. That's how power moves. That's fascinating. So you might even think this started, well, if she hadn't distributed 300,000 of these books into California and rallied support around Goldwater, Reagan wouldn't have been president, if you want to draw a crazy line throughout history. Did did, did (laughs) Schlafly get Reagan elected? Maybe. (laughs) As far as her political stuff, she ran twice for public office in Illinois, but never never was in political office. I heard uh, her daughter mention that she thought that she was more powerful from outside the direct mm-hmm. influence uh, sphere, that somehow rallying as a third party actually emboldened and embraced her to be a little bit more untouchable than anybody else on that forefront fight. Yeah. Um, which I thought was really interesting. It's like using the fact that you're not in the system as a position of power. And you uh, can say, oh, I'm just a housewife. I'm relating to the housewives. Yeah. And but if you can get enough people behind you, you can become the figurehead for people who look just like you. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that's, I guess, the ultimate irony. So just back to the ERA stuff. She created the Stop ERA movement and then is going against all this stuff. At the time, when she started this movement, the ERA had already been ratified by 28 of the 38 states. During her time as she's doing this, seven more states ratify, but then five rescind in her time. Whoa, what? They were on and then they were off again. But a big part of the irony, as we said with this, is like she is advocating for the full-time mothers and wives and saying, if this gets passed, then all your rights and your ability to just be a housewife and all the privileges that that affords are going to be taken away and you're going to be thrown into the army and you're not going to have social security and everybody's going to have the same bathroom. All these issues get brought up. But she herself is a lawyer, newsletter, editor, touring speaker, political activist. (laughs) She's nothing like these housewives that she's purporting to be on the surface. Once you become the figure that like that becomes everything you are. I mean, uh, we might have even touched on that, but she's as big as a feminist as anybody when it comes down to actually getting done what she needed to get done to make sure that she held her position of power. Yeah. That she held her status. This is very much about status. Yeah. This is very much like I was telling Evan before. It's like they're kind of both going for the same thing, which is we want women to have the choice if they want to be a housewife, which is the stereotypical role, or if they want to have the ability to be able to go do whatever they want as equally as anybody else. And in a lot of her interviews, this Phyllis She's not saying that it has to be that way. She's just saying, I want the opportunity, and those opportunities are going to be taken away. And by the same token, the other side is also saying, well, we don't want you to have – we we have to have this go through because currently our opportunities are being taken away. I think my issue here is that there's not really an alternative, that the Schlafly movement is not really saying – is not trying to pass better you know, it's just status quo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It is just merely obstructionist. It is merely just holding Chain, against yeah. the the landslide, holding against the yeah. slippery slippery slope. Where's the other idea? Where's the ingenuity? Where's the but what we can get done? <laughs> you know, where where is where where are those thoughts? I'm just not hearing it. And ultimately. When you get into those types of arguments where you're not hearing a, a, a kind of constructive, in good faith argument about maybe mm-hmm. what are the issues and what's a better way to do it. If you're not talking about what's a better way to do it, it, it if you do that, this might happen. You know, yeah. that's not you're not really having a real debate at that point. Yeah. But you're not talking about what you want to get done or maybe what's wrong or even acknowledging. Yeah, that that might exist somewhere out in the world that's not in your own four walls. Yeah, and maybe this is might be a huge overreach, but just from what we talked about with the little amount of her biography, it's like she was reacting to what her life was. She kind of lived that life of yeah. like, oh, her mom went to work, and then she went to college at an all women's college because yeah. she couldn't, it wasn't allowed to get into the man's. You know, like she kind of maybe flipped to the other side and is like, well, I don't want to do all of that because my life was terrible. Yeah, trying to be an independent woman. In those times. So I'm just going to be a housewife. The first episode goes out of its way to kind of show you a a cerebral conflict with her. You can see her thinking throughout the first episode. She's trying to find a cause. She's trying to find somewhere that that really needs her and she can be useful. But she can tell when she's being discounted by the men in the room. The filmmakers do a fantastic job of just following eye lines and being able to communicate. Ah. She's caught on to the little subtle game between the two men over here about how they just got her out of the room 
to go do this menial little task. Mm-hmm. There's a beautiful turn where I think the fire is really lit under this character where she's going to D.C. to meet with politicians to really start to get involved in the movement. And she's in the middle of the meetings just starting. And then they ask her, the men ask her if she can uh, do notes because she probably has the best handwriting out of all of them. And so she gets up real quick to go get a note as they continue talking. And she turns around and it's a beautiful turn. Everything slows and she sees them continuing to talk without her she's going over to the uh the secretary secretary, and then the secretary gets you know even calls her ms and not mrs so she's like you know everywhere she looks she's being just totally just you know she's been taken for granted everywhere Mm -hmm. i mean and 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 but i think it's trying to get at the woman's plight of everywhere you turn and even women uh, are guilty of it of doing it to other women of just Mm -hmm. not seeing them as a full person uh who's here to discuss Business and politics. I'm an author, you know, like all that, you know, so the the series does an amazing job of really showing showing her uh, become aware of her particular power because you know what? She has read the bill and she's going to call the bluff on the congressman who hasn't read the bill. Guess what? Hadn't read it. Mm -hmm. So she can take them all to school. She goes right back into that into that meeting and she just starts laying out exactly how she feels, couth or not. Who yeah. cares? Because she's done her homework and she's calling the bluff that most of the people in the room haven't. And she's right. Yeah. Her rhetoric in real life is incredible. If you look into videos of her, like she is a really good public speaker. Yeah. I thought she's an amazing figurehead. I mean, <laughs> I mean, really, obviously don't agree with, with what she's talking, you know, her ideas here. But I mean, it's when it comes to putting a face on a movement and being able to back it up, man. Wow. Yeah. She is as good as it gets. Yeah. And she backed it up. Now we go to what we promised, modern times. So the five states that revoked their ratifications didn't get them to the 38 states needed. 1979 so, passes. Right. Wah, they, wah. Well, well, they extend it to 82. Really? Yeah. Jimmy Carter does. God, here we go. He's like, Buckle we got to try. <laughs> Still doesn't go to 82. This is where we get to the was or is, because there is contention about whether it's legal to revoke (laughs) your ratification after you already ratified it. Uh, Like you can't do like no take backs. You already said it. You can't go just be like, well, we didn't mean that. (laughs) So actually, they really only need three more states because they're saying, well, if we count those five states and the other thing, the deadline is just in the preamble. It's not in the actual constitutional thing. So hmm. so they're saying those two things are not legally admissible. So technically, the deadline was just a thing that was written to put pressure, and the deadline doesn't exist. And also, no take backs on the ratification. <laughs> so here's no what happened backs. in modern times. In 2017, Nevada ratified this 1971 thing. Was there was there a particular thing that happened to spur that? What did, I know? think just the Me Too movement. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. That's a... Of- <sighs> yeah, <laughs> can I just take that back a second where I remembered and I can put yeah. you know pop culture together in the same timeline like it all happened on the same earth. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. So, me too happens. Yeah. <laughs> Which 20, spurs it for 2017. 20, 2017 Nevada does it. 2018 Illinois does it. And then this is where we're talking about in January of 2020 Virginia ratified making it if you discount the five who unratified the 38th state. Wow, we're right on it. Yeah, so this is going to be settled in court or there is going to be a bunch of stuff going on this year and the coming year, 2021, in Congress saying, well, what's going, like this has to go to the courts. What is the status of unratifying something? And then also what is the status of this arbitrary deadline that was set in the 70s? 
So I and looked in all the while women walking around realizing they're legally not the same as men. It's <laughs> a weird way, way to think, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So I looked into the history of this countering the deadline thing. Yeah. Because that's the biggest one is like but the, the, the deadline passed. Yeah, so it's got to be a whole new thing. Yeah, but the, but the deadline, <laughs> Taylor, the deadline, see? Yeah. So here's the thing. I don't know if you know anything about the 27th Amendment. It's the most recent amendment. Nothing at all. Perfect. <laughs> Neither did I. It limits the, the increases or decreases of the salary of members of Congress from taking effect until the start of the next set of terms. Huh. Seems like a pretty boring, just legal thing of like, well, you can't change your salary after you, you know. <laughs> Basic, yeah, right. It's the 27th Amendment. It was uh, effective in 1992. This was a part of the original 12 amendments, 10 of which became the Bill of Rights. Oh. It was not ratified by enough states, but there was no deadline on it. So this thing was submitted in 1789, and then it just didn't get passed because it wasn't, It's you know, there's 10 Bill of Rights, whatever. It was forgotten until 1982. Oh, my God. There's this kid, kid. <sighs> Gregory Watson, he was a 19-year-old sophomore at the University of Texas. He wrote a paper for a government class where he looked into this, and he claimed legally that this amendment could still be ratified. Whoa, what? So there were, so Could you imagine being like a student, a sophomore? <laughs> finding you're, this incredible. You're, like, you're like on the edge of constitutional law, <laughs> right. discovering a loophole that nobody has seen yet. Or the, just remembering something that is just again outside of our purview, outside of yeah. our uh, of our blinders on this horse. That's wild. And I just thought that's interesting, just because as as a college student, I always felt like everything I did was so insignificant. Yeah. Well, and so did he. Classic higher institution. The teacher gave him a C on the paper. <laughs> um, try try again. Try better. So, it's all right. Passable. So, so then this this kid goes on a tear and launches a nationwide campaign to try to complete the ratification of this thing. Whoa, little So this fire. is 82, Whoa, so it whoops, took professor. <laughs> it took 10 years and the amendment became part of the constitution. He got enough states to ratify it. Oh my god. And it became the 27th amendment it in turned 19... it into a, like a career. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. His political career. I mean, he's oh taking government classes yeah. in college. So the deadline didn't exist. So this ratification period for this one you mentioned 100 years for this most recent one. This yeah. was 202 years. Oh, my God. That this thing was just sitting Think there. Think about that. I just found as a last little bookend to this, which I thought was great. Another professor in 2016 tracked down the original professor that gave him the C grade. <gasps> and because she had retired from teaching, she figured out who it was. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And went yeah. to talk to her. And I'll post a link because this was on NPR. And she had said, quote, Goodness, he certainly proved he knew how to work the Constitution and what it meant and how to be politically active. So I think he deserves an A after that. Actually, an A+. Plus. So the university does not give grades higher than an A. That's just the rule. But he got an exception. Now, keep in mind, this is 34 years later. So he is the only student ever to get an A+, plus in the history of the University of Texas. That is incredible. That's an amazing story. Yeah. So there's hope for what might be the 28th Amendment. Wow, absolutely, absolutely there's hope. And it goes to show you, you just never know, you know, our, our time on this earth is only what we know, and there is before <laughs> and there is after. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, you just never know that it's, it's, things are moving in slow motion. 
right right now things that have been on somebody's desk for what you know a hundred years uh yeah. it's it's you never know what's around the corner <laughs> god yeah. and it all comes back around this is wild stuff crazy so go yeah go check it out it's on hulu check out our show notes uh if you're interested in any of the real life stuff or the articles or research and whatnot but coming up this yeah. uh this next week, I believe we're doing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the 15th anniversary of the film, so and I've never seen it, so I get to go check that yeah. out. We also have, we put a poll out on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere. You can always message us at IlliteratePod, but we're going to do a big series after that. Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings. Audience choice. Something make like sure that. You get, make sure you go look at the choices. We got Harry Potter. We got uh, Steven Spielberg, The Godfather, Hunger Games. Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Big series is if you have another great idea, please let us know. If we don't have yours, yeah. If you if we didn't list your favorite ones, let us know because we're going to do more of these. This is just a, 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 a tipping our toe into the waters of bigger episodes, bigger themes here. So we want to get your uh, suggestions in on this first one. We want it to be audience choice. Um, the best way to reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. And uh, we'll catch you on that flip flop.